welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, you're listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And I'm joined by a very special guest today, BJ Thompson. Welcome, BJ. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, for our listeners who don't know you, give them a little bit of background. Good, good. Yeah, my name is BJ Thompson. Um, I serve as the director of Build a Better Restaurant, which, is, which was established to serve couples. We do conferences, small groups. Um, and create tools to help build families. But I also serve um, with the navigators um, at Morehouse, um, making disciples on college campuses. So glad to be here this morning. That's awesome. That's awesome, BJ. So uh, I recently um, watched your um, Periscope video. Well, it wasn't on Periscope. Mm-hmm. It was on YouTube now, but mm-hmm. I think it's originally on Periscope. Um, evangelical... Was it Egyptology, Evangelicalism, and Why It Matters? Was that Uh the title? And Mm -hmm. I was very uh, intrigued. I was like, man, this is good stuff. Uh, I've been been talking about um, the exact same things with a couple of my friends. What is your motivation behind that video? Yeah. um, So a few weeks ago, um, I was really burdened. I saw... um, kind of over a period of time, just a growing um, conversation about um, just ethnic um, offshoots, uh, ethnic-oriented, not cults, but just people trying to find their way historically. And um, it really sparked my remembrance when I was um, in my early 20s, and I was in a barbershop, and I was watching a video, and it just basically dismantled all of Christianity. And... Um, said that it was a white man's religion and really just, um, I mean, it was very disturbing um, and, and not disturbing from the standpoint of it was just unpacking um, Christianity. It was disturbing because I saw in it, Lisa, um, people grasping for the ethnic origins and trying to figure that out. And so um, a few weeks ago, just given the recent, recent um, growth of the last two years of ongoing racial divide, racial tension, almost similar to the 60s, um, decided just out of a burden to release something to specifically address not just um, ethnic cults or growing ethnic cults, but evangelicals and how, um, as a minority Christian, I could see that the silence, the um, what seemed to be apathy, and again, I, we can't assume people's hearts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what seemed to be apathy was actually fueling a disgruntledness um, that was leading people to cults. And so decided to drop that and begin to try to hopefully unpack that and bring some, shed some light on what we could do um, to still inspire people towards the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, even in these trying times. That's what's up. So how do you think, um, from your own observation, that you've got to this place um, and... There's so much kind of the the apathy in a sense or, and, you know, people like kind of seeking out, out cults to be affirmed. Yeah. I, so, you know, that, that, if you heard the phrase, when you don't know history, 
you find yourself repeating it. Mm-hmm. I think that um, a lot of us, many of us, um, institutionally, we learn history from primary and secondary institutions, um, elementary and middle and high schools. And so a lot of the curriculum that we received, you know, was based off of certain wars, um, the American Revolution, um, the Bay of Pigs, uh, World War I, World War II, um, small sections of the civil rights, small section of emancipation. And in a lot of ways, Lisa, we, we were given uh, an anemic version of history. And, and many of us, you know, when you think about it, um, learn history for the sake of a test. Mm-hmm. Um, not not for the sake of understanding who we are and where we come from, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you look back at it um, historically, um, you see in the 60s in the, in the rising tensions of the day, um, there was a thing called the Jim Crow, for those of you who are unfamiliar, and it was a law set um, in order to segregate, separate but equal, the society that was wrestling with these newly free slaves being settled into the American nation. Well, out of that came what was called the Civil Rights um, Movement, and it was later signed into policy by Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm-hmm. And it created just a that a, a disjointedness um, for our nation. So imagine this. A large group of people have been living separate but equal, um, having you know a sense of frustration, feeling dehumanized, uh, feeling disgruntled, but ultimately um, having their own stores, having their own school systems, having their own church and culture and structures. And then all of a sudden, they're attempting to integrate into um, a, a larger society of Asians and um, Europeans um, and um, all these different cultures of people. And what they found was there was much tension to be met. Have you seen the movie Selma mm-hmm. and what it was? Yeah. Selma gives us a snapshot of what actually occurred once people began to try to pursue the rights that were newly signed into law. It was no longer um, a hypothetical of we could be free, we could have freedom, we can exist in a particular way. But now that we are, we have these rights and laws, they were not being protected, nor are they being enforced. And so um, it began to grow a lot of rhetoric among um, just the churches. Churches were having to form, you know, form unions and create marches. You see that with Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. But that's not all. Um, you had the rise of what was called the Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And you had the rise of, you know, student unions like SNCC or whatnot in order to... Um, fight for the rights that were signed into law in the early 60s. And so early on, I'll, I'll give you one example of a person, two people that I could think of. One mm-hmm. example is Muhammad Ali. Uh, Muhammad Ali, if, if many people don't know about this, Muhammad Ali grew up with Christian parents. Mm. And he he wanted to, they were trying to ship him to war. And he was wrestling with this new this faith and the fact that the country were not honoring him as a person. And this is one of the quotes, if you go back and look on YouTube, it's really intriguing. He says, he can't believe in a Christianity that does not honor him as a human being, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of ways, um, Christianity at the time was representative uh, from power structure wise, 
for position to people who were affirming racial segregation. And so that turned him away. Um, mm-hmm. That turned him away. Their passiveness turned him away. Another example, and I'll, and I'll give you a chance to speak into this, was James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. James Baldwin, a very famous speaker uh, from the 60s. If you don't know him, come, go check him out. Um, he shares a story about being trying to find a refuge after recognizing that being black um, in the society um, was not a sign of opportunity. It was a curse. Um, mm. And people would find refuge um, in, in a various places, either on a corner, either in trying to create commerce and business, or in the church. And he found that Christianity could not, at that time, answer his questions about why is it that we're not being treated equal? Why is it that our brothers and sisters don't stand with us? What is it that happens with our history? And so I think the way we got here historically um, is when people are denied um, their history, when people see that there's a truth that exists um, and then the church is silent, it is just like a bad breakup, Lisa. If I had a bad breakup, I've had plenty of them. Mm-hmm. It, it begins to scar your ability to engage that thing in vulnerability and now the only thing you can do is turn away from it or avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you get to 2015 and you see a swell of these these things again, Nation of Islam, Hebrew Israelites, Egyptology, Five Percenters, whatever those things may be, it is a group of people who are grasping for a desire to be affirmed historically with real roots in spirituality. So I think that's how we got here. Yeah, and that that's um, even in addition to those um, black liberation theology sprung up from that as well, because uh, Rufus Burrow noted in his um, his book on James Cone that um, in the in the 60s, people were going to predominantly African-American churches and they weren't hearing about the struggle that they were encountering on the on the outside of the four walls and that and and that kind of push them to a different direction. So when um, Cone and the whole idea, the black liberation movement came, it was like a breath of fresh air. Yes. And so it pushes, which I, I, I deeply um, appreciate a lot of Cone's work. Cause there's a lot of truth in what he's saying, even though I disagree with <laughs> a lot of points yeah. as well. Um, but we go to these, there's these extremes that we're pushed to if we're not center, if there's no orthopraxy, if the orthopraxy and the orthodox down the line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, that trauma, it's, it's, it'd be similar to someone denying you um, food and shelter. Mm-hmm. And if you notice that they refuse to do so, and then, you know, a Joseph Coney shows up with food and shelter. Um, Joseph Coney is a figure from invisible children. He is, a militant, he is a kidnapper. Well, Joseph Coney shows up with food and shelter. If you have been denied in a larger society, um, where do you turn? Mm-hmm. I mean, you either starve or it's choose to be nourished and have to possibly do things that you learn. So, again, that may be an, an extreme example of it, but we all, all want life and we all want answers. Um, and we all desire to be affirmed. And so I think a lot of the misstep of the church has been um, deeply connected to this one thing. You ready? Mm-hmm. A lack of humility. 
Um, We've lacked humility and we've lacked repentance in being able to say that was evil. Um, And not that was evil, you know, 50 years later, because I think we have been this becoming kind of a pattern, right? We we see the incident that happened with the uh, Southern Baptist leadership with Martin Luther King, and it took a long time. It took until the 90s for them to finally say that was wrong. Mm -hmm. I think when the church doesn't repent, power structure-wise, in real time, um, it forces people into these sects. And again, it's not that you choose to steal. It's just that people feel cared for and loved, and it creates in them um, they're a lot more open to someone affirming them in a different type of way. Mm-hmm. So that's how I think we got here. Yeah, and it's 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 so crazy. I know actually uh, a guy that I know that's a a a, a godly man. He's a deep Southern Baptist church and he posted um, two guns and said, one is a BB gun, <laughs> one is a regular gun. And he was like, I don't know what, sh- what the fuss is about, about Tamir Rice. And I was yeah. just like, oh my gosh, I know him personally. Uh-huh. And I'm yeah. like, if anybody was to see this and not know you personally, like yeah. your lack of empathy is like over the top right now. Just don't, po- uh-huh. don't. Don't post anything. And it's just like, you really have to, it's like, you have to like really step back and you're evaluating your whole relationship with this person based yeah. off one post. And it's kind of like, man, gosh, man, I know you're a godly man. I'm struggling to see it right now. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you know, I think, that, I think you're absolutely right. So here, here's what I would say to our listeners. Um, we, uh, as human beings, do the best that we can. And we know that there are people who are maliciously um, race, racialized. We know that there are people who are maliciously violent. We know the people who are intentionally um, involved in things that would harm other human beings. A lot of times, the things that we're involved in, Lisa, we unintentionally um, are oppressing others and, and unaware. And I'll give you an example. So if you look at most of your clothing, you'll notice that it says made in what? A foreign country. Some, uh, foreign country. China. Yeah. Or more, more so China, right? We do a mm-hmm. lot of importing from China. Well, imports from China mean that the, the vast majority of the things that we receive are coming from a group of people. You don't know their name. You've never seen them. You're not certain of who they are. You're not sure how it got established. All you know is you have a shirt on your back and shoes on your feet. Mm-hmm. Well, if you were to go to China and you were to talk to the people who work there and ask them about the conditions that were surrounding their life, and they told you, hey, you're oppressing me, you go, what? What mm-hmm. do you mean you're oppressing me? Yeah, because of you, I'm unable to go to school. And the only way my family can survive is by working, sending me to work at eight at the sweatshop. Now, listen, Lisa, that would put you in complete shock. Mm-hmm. Um, and that individual who is living under those conditions could only express themselves out of a sense of true um, frustration, deep frustration, or um, significant sadness, right? Mm-hmm. And it will be confusing to you because you, you have never really considered all the change that create you gaining a shirt, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's what happens in racial accusations in America. I think we're so unaware of the history. We're so unaware 
of denialities of systems that when people begin to raise concerns, it feels like it came out of nowhere. And we go, <laughs> we go, hey, the media needs to stop. It would not be front and center if the media was not referring to them. And what many of us are aware of is how deeply embedded um, our decision-making in our country, the Emancipation Proclamation to different housing acts, all revolved around race. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go back and read law, it'll blow your mind to see within the law, black citizens can't live in their neighborhood to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, in legal contract, it'll just blow your mind to see that. And then once you look up and re- recognize the system, it puts you into shock because you can't believe that this amount of um, racial partiality um, makes our country run. And so, I think mm-hmm. not when we have a black president, that's everybody's yeah, go-to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what that's what shocks us, right? We we go into shock because mm-hmm. it's, it's hard for us to recognize. Um, and so, when you talk to talk about a friend posting those guns, in his mind, he's doing the best that he can. He doesn't know economics. He doesn't understand the drug on the war on drugs. Um, because we've been deprived of that history. Um, let me make one other point, Lisa, mm-hmm. that I think we don't think about. Um, power structure. Racism is more than opinion. I think that we have um, belittled it and diminished it to your personal viewpoint on people. Racism has to do more so with your ability to have power over a person via personal force or systemic force, right? Mm-hmm. We don't recognize that when we say racism, it's not just that I don't like you. So if I don't like you, Lisa, something about you, hey, you have a gold shirt on. I don't like that. That's prejudice. Mm-hmm. That's prejudice. Racism is, or whatever ism is, if I can hinder you from wearing that shirt or tax you because you wear a gold shirt, mm-hmm. now I have power to enforce my bias into your life, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think for many of us, because we don't recognize that there's been long, lofty history and struggle and tension that has written themselves into law, we don't feel like we've been personally involved in it and we don't understand how it is that this thing is playing itself out. And because history has not had the input of American Indians, American Natives, I'm sorry, Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I call I call them Indians. That's hilarious. <laughs> we call people Indians, and we've known the entire time that they were Native Americans. <laughs> um, Native Americans, African Americans, they have not had input on those textbooks. And so, if you write history about your life, and it's just you writing history, Lisa, you would omit the parts that are damaging to you. Mm-hmm. Um, because they skewed the view of the good thing that you did in your life. So I think that's kind of how we got here. Mm-hmm. How do you think that we can fix it? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ on the throne. Yeah, um, you know, I think the first thing is we have to stop running from the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many things we assume about one another. And, you know, I'll just say this to kind of a couple of things. When we talk about the relationship between African-Americans and white culture, um, I think it's a very unique um, relationship. 
and it needs to be spoken into for this reason. My last name is Thompson. What's your last name? Fields. Fields, right? Mm-hmm. Your ethnic origins are from Africa. Mm-hmm. Where did you get your last name from? My, the slave master. The slave master. Our ethnic origins have been so, we've been so deprived of our ethnic origins that we can only refer historically to slavery. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think what it did, you know, whether people understood the long term impact of 400 years of enslaving and disadvantaging our people is it created this unique relationship between African Americans and white Americans. Um, and so I think they have to deal with it. So the first thing is we have to stop running from the conversation once we um, feel uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what separate and equal was about, was that instead of feeling uncomfortable about establishing communities of diversity, we have to begin to fight through the discomfort of, of it and go, you know what? You are my neighbor and I can't try to avoid you based off of the color of your skin. So that's the first thing is, um, I think practically we have to stop leaving the conversation. Mm-hmm. Second thing is this, I think there has to come a point, Lisa, where we are intentional, to intentional about building relationships with people to help refine and challenge our presuppositions about them, okay? Mm-hmm. So when you hear an African-American say, white people do this, and then you ask them, how many substantial relationships with white people do you have outside of a, you know, you went to the grocery store, you went to the doctor, you went to whatever, and they say none? That's how you, that's when you realize that a stereotype is growing based off of it. Or you hear, I just had a friend recently who shared what their their viewpoint on black Americans were. And then I asked them, how many black peers do you have where you don't help, you don't fix, um, that can speak into your life authority, authoritatively? And they said none, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that part of the issue that we wrestle with is all we have in media. Mm-hmm. All we have is, I think this criminality is you are, you know, assumed to be a criminal based off of what I see on the news and based off of the things I feel. And I think we have to stop and, and do the uncomfortable thing by building real meaningful, tru- truly meaningful relationships where we humble ourselves. And I'll give you the easiest way to do this, through a meal. Invite mm-hmm. somebody out to a meal, share your story, ask to hear their story, and figure out the bridge to connect with them. So those are two things I would say. And the last thing would be study history for yourself. Don't put the onus of knowing all of these things on one individual, you know, you need to go back and actually read as an adult. What happened? How did we get here? So that's what I would say. That's dope. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's all things we need. Cause you learn so much. Stereotypes are broken by just yeah. conversation. Um, the caricatures yeah. we have. And when we start doing that, just there will be, I think a healing that will take place. Um, well, not between everybody because some people are just yeah. evil, but those people yeah. who are actually willing, um, I think a lot of, and I think a lot of um, white Americans are willing to have the conversation. They just yeah. are scared to mess up. So you have yeah, to have yeah, grace yeah. 
for the conversation because they're going to say something that's ignorant. They're going to yeah. say something that might rub you the wrong way. But just like yeah. in any relationship, if you stick it out and say, you know what, let's fight through this, then you could get to the end. And I think on our part as African-Americans, sometimes we're so easily offended that we yeah. can't allow, we don't allow the space for something to be said that we might not necessarily like. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. So for my brothers and sisters listening who are white and are fearful and want to engage the conversation, here's what I would just encourage you to do. Ask the stupid question, and you can even preface the question, you know, to a person of color, say, man, can I sit with you? Not that I don't want to fix you, but I want to gain a, a, a more meaningful relationship here. And just stay on the front end, hey, this may be a stupid question, um, but I think you're right, Lisa. We have to get past that because the church should look very unique um, to the world. We know that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the church, and and that means that brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters. You are not a white man. I'm not a black man, even though God gave us ethnic origins. Positionally, we are brothers, um, and I don't have a lesser value than you, and I think that's part of the issue is that People have, we created power structures that reflect a lesser value, uh, given who's in control of the power. And so when we come to the church and we come to other, other brothers and sisters, we just don't know what to do. And so I would just say, make the room and just say, hey, this may be a stupid question. But then I would also say, come as a learner, mm-hmm. you know, come as a, don't come as a person, you know, repeating what you heard on Fox News. Um, come as a person who wants to learn for the sake of having unity and real love in the gospel. So, Amen. So, BJ, this has been a great conversation. What would you like to leave with our listeners? Yeah, um, so, so a couple of things. I think that, um, you know, we, we are coming to a place in our society where there's an urgency for the church to be um, a picture of unity and love and specifically the relationship that we see with African-Americans and white Americans, given the growing tension, again, not to the exclusion of our Hispanic brothers and sisters who are fighting immigration and fighting to, to have um, equal opportunity in jobs and housing. I don't want to be dismissive of that. Our Asian brothers and sisters or Italian brothers and sisters who are coming from different places or Sudanese or any of different groups. I think there's a unique dynamic there. I think we need to humble ourselves. One of the things that um, the Bible says, First John, it says love covers a multitude of sins, right? Mm-hmm. When we humble ourselves, and one of the most powerful things, my friend Daniel Hill in Chicago stood up in a crowd of people on national television, and here's what he said. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry for the silence, my black brothers and sisters. We're sorry for pretending like things are, are equal. We're sorry for condoning the guilt. We're sorry. And that did so much, Lisa. It did so much to hear a brother say, I'm sorry, because what, that, what it meant was not, he wasn't saying he was um, guilty of all the things that had occurred, but he was acknowledging those things in a way that can begin the healing process, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that for many of us, instead of saying, I don't know anything, I don't understand this, and just being okay with it, you know, recognizing there's been a real damage done. Uh, and until you can be transparent 
and honest about that and not deflective and talking about black on black crime the moment, you know, we, we bring up legitimate issues that have occurred or, you know, what white folks did or whatever. I'm sorry. Humility and love win every single time. So. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, BJ. Um, I think Thank our you. listeners are going to be definitely enriched by this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it